Well, it's like we have a pretty good number of folks here this evening. We're glad to see you, and we hope you'll all be able to come back as, as frequently as often. Beautiful day weather-wise, and a great day to be out together with God's people and studying and singing these beautiful songs in worship to Him. I'd like for you to be turning, if you will, to the last book in the Bible, the book of Malachi, and almost the last page in your Old Testament. We'll start in just a moment with that. Tonight I'm going to veer away, even though a lot of sermons um, will either directly relate to our theme this year, I'm talking about Sunday evening sermons, will either directly relate or somewhat relate as the series in, uh, on self-control did. But tonight I'm going to completely veer away from that and deal with um, a question about divorce. Um, a couple of you have mentioned this particular passage and questioned it. It is one that I guess all through the time I've been preaching, at least most of it, has been a recurring idea that just keeps coming up, and especially amongst the Lord's people, because a lot of people out there do talk about it. Now, if you pick up an outline, you know I'm talking about divorce, and you know that I'm talking about um, God, any question of God allowing divorce and for what reason or reasons. Uh, that God would allow it and allow remarriage. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Not everything by any means the Bible has to say, but I do want to focus in particular on this question, sometimes known as the Pauline or Pauline privilege of divorce. Uh, That's strictly man's terminology, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Let me begin, though, by saying that I think it bears repeating God's basic sentiment His feeling, if we were to ask, how does God feel about divorce? I think we can easily see if we turn to Malachi chapter 2, and I'd like you to read that together with me. Malachi chapter 2, and I'm going to start right in the middle of a paragraph, but the point will be made. God is talking about their having broken the covenant with Him, having dealt, as He uses the term, treacherously or traitorously, some of your translations may say, with Him, And he compares that to the whole idea of marriage. If you'll notice in verse 14, he says, You will question me and say, Why? Because the Lord has been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, he says. He's been a witness between you and the wife of your youth, against whom, and I'll use the King James, you have dealt treacherously. Yet she is, and we might say today, she still is your companion, and she still is the wife of your covenant. And then verse 15, and did he not make one? And I think this refers to, and I believe most people would understand this, to refer to the idea of the two becoming one flesh when they are bound by God in marriage. Did he not make one? Yet, it says, had he the residue of the Spirit. And Why one, or wherefore one, the King James says, that he might seek a godly seed, and therefore take heed to your spirit. And let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. Now verse 16. For the Lord, the God of Israel, says that he hateth putting away. Some of your translations will say, and God says, I hate divorce. Or he, God, hates divorce. I think it's clear when you read verse 16. If we ask the feeling, what's God's basic sentiment about divorce? How does God feel about divorce? He hates it. Now anything God hates... We're not going to immediately then begin to talk about how God might look with favor upon divorce and remarriage. But I want you to hold that in mind. 
because we're going to go to a passage, and I'm going to talk about how religious people and even a number, a growing number, of our brethren are using a certain passage to say God, in fact, smiles upon it, is, is happy with it, and uh, pleased you know, with the fact that you might uh, remarry. You might divorce even and remarry. So we're going to talk about that. But Malachi 2. God hates divorce, for one covers violence with his garment. Verse 16 says, The Lord of hosts, therefore take heed to your spirit that you deal not treacherously. Or betraying is the idea, the covenant, whether it is with God, and that would include the covenant you have with your wife. Our question tonight comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 7, though, and I'd like for you to turn over to that passage. Now, hold your finger at 1 Corinthians 7 or market or something, because we're going to go back and forth to it, and we'll stay the bulk of the time in 1 Corinthians 7. But our question comes from 1 Corinthians 7, and it generally results from those who are looking for or wanting to find allowances, is the way I put it in the outline, where God would allow divorce. And that's where it starts. And then some would even move past that to how God might favor divorce. We'll talk about that. But... The idea of God allowing divorce, especially since we live in a time, and I think we all understand this, we live in a time when divorce is it, it just rampant. It's often cases the norm and not the, the exception. Some of you that are older, and I'm in that age, barely, but I remember a time when everyone in my neighborhood, at least in the South where I grew up, everyone in my neighborhood people that were married, the parents of the people, you know, the neighborhood children that I played with, that I went to school with, etc., etc., they were all married. It was a very rare thing for people, for kids not to be with both their parents. It was just a very rare thing for people to be divorced. And when someone became divorced and then even married again and the whole idea of stepbrothers and stepchildren and stepparents and all of that was terminology that really in the first few years of my life I never heard. But then it became a rare exception. But by the time I was a teenager even, and you can see how fast things change, by the time I was even a teenager it was becoming more and more the norm. And now I think we understand. It doesn't matter where you live in this country, and many times it doesn't matter where you live in the world. Divorce, remarriage, that whole scenario is just a common thing. And sometimes even more common. In fact, maybe now it is the exception or the rare thing for kids to have both their parents still living at home with their parents, etc., and there be no step whatever involved. I think that's probably the exception now. So when you come to the church and when you begin to talk about God's people and when you begin to talk about Christians and how they might come to the Lord, or as we will borrow from 1 Corinthians 7, how they might be called to the Lord, what state they're in. And I don't mean Alabama or New Jersey, I mean what condition they're in as far as marriage is concerned. Then naturally there are going to be many people, if they're converted at an older age, and and I mean even up in their 20s and certainly their 30s, who will have a question about marriage Divorce and remarriage and so forth. And so some have gravitated toward 1 Corinthians 7 and found an allowance in 1 Corinthians 7 for 
just that, divorce and remarriage. Now, I don't want to spend a great deal of time tonight because that's not the lesson, and I really do want to focus on 1 Corinthians 7 because that's the question. But I think we need to at least mention, so let me spend four or five minutes here laying the foundation for the teaching that I'm going to do. So if we went to several different Bible passages and taught just the basic question of divorce and remarriage, I always start when I'm studying with someone with Malachi 2. In fact, I start that whether I'm you know, counseling people before they ever marry in the first place or certainly when they come and they want to talk about, you know, we got problems in the marriage or whatever, then I'm immediately going to Malachi 2 and, and just establishing the fact that God hates divorce. So let's start there. But beyond that, I think that we would do exactly what Jesus did. As a matter of fact, you can hold your finger or mark 1 Corinthians 7. I'll come right back to it. But let me go to Matthew 19 briefly. There was an occasion where a group of people came to Jesus. They were testing him. The passage makes that clear. And if you know the background to this whole story, as I understand it, there were two predominant schools of thought in, in and among the Pharisees, the scribes, the teachers of the day. It's not important, but those two schools were the school of Shammai and the school of Hillel. And you'd be able to look that up and see that. Shammai was the uh, conservative school, if I'm thinking right on that. I didn't write this stuff down. And Hillel was the liberal school. It doesn't really matter because the idea was that from the school of Shammai or the conservative school, the strict school, they believed there was absolutely no reason for divorce and remarriage. No exceptions, none whatsoever. You never divorce, you never remarry because obviously God hates divorce. The other school, and I believe it was the school of Hillel, I may have that backwards, but the other school, the more liberal thinking was, you can divorce for every reason, any reason whatsoever. You don't like her, she got old and ugly, she burns the toast, it doesn't matter. You could divorce her for every reason and marry again. So they came to Jesus and they asked the question, and you'll notice how they asked it in verse 3. The Pharisees came unto him and they were testing him or tempting him. And they said, is it lawful for a man to put away, to divorce his wife for every cause? Some of your translations say for every reason or for any reason. And Jesus will go on to answer that, but I think it's important how Jesus answers it. Because Jesus makes it clear that the law concerning divorce and remarriage or marriage itself dates all the way back to the Garden of Eden and has not changed. And so he says, if you'll notice in verse 4, he answered and said to them, have you not read? If you want to answer this question, you need not run to this school or that school or this preacher or that preacher or whatever. You just, you need to read what God says. Have you not read, as he says, that he which made them at the beginning, made them male and female, and if we're quoting, and we are quoting here, Genesis 2 and verse 24, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave. And that word cleave means to be joined, literally to be glued to his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. And I think that's what he's referring to in Malachi 2 when he says, Has he not made the two one? And so the law of marriage is a person grows up in their parents' home and they leave their parents' home and they're joined or glued to their spouse and they stay there. That's God's law. And that's what Jesus is saying. 
That's exactly what God means to happen. There are no more two people, as he goes on to say here in verse 6, but they are one flesh, and what God has joined together, let not man put asunder or tear apart, literally. So it's very clear that what God is saying, the basic teaching that's given in the Bible, the foundational teaching is that no one is to divorce and no one is to remarry. If we were to turn back over to Luke 16 that Everton read for us a moment ago, you would see exactly that. That in a passage where Jesus is mentioning the things they do to justify themselves, the things they do to fulfill their own desires, apparently would include some who would dishonor the law of marriage because he throws it in there in verse 18. And he says, if you, and I'll just paraphrase, if you divorce and you remarry, you commit adultery. And so it's very simple. So the foundational teaching is, in answer to the question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for every cause or any cause or any reason? The answer is no, it is not. And from the very beginning, God intended, and you've heard me say this often, and so many people say it often, God intended one man for one woman for one lifetime. And so two people are married, and that doesn't end until one of them dies. Now then they're free, obviously, to marry again once a spouse is dead, but that's God's law. Now a person might say, well, okay, that's the law, but are there any exceptions to the law? Any exceptions to the rule? And the answer, surprisingly, I think, is yes. There is one. And if you notice in Matthew 19, and this becomes the point of contention, but let's just read it as Jesus literally said it. In verse 6, They are no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And they said unto him, Well, if that's the case... Why did Moses, notice what they say, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? I think that's the wrong way to say it. If we went back to Deuteronomy 24, I wouldn't find Moses commanding people to just rampantly divorce and remarry. But, chapter 24 of Deuteronomy does talk about divorce and a bill of divorcement and remarrying another person when something unclean is found in the individual. Now let's notice Jesus' answer. Why did Moses command this writing of divorcement to put her away? He said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, allowed it. What does that mean? Let me just stop there for a second. Is that not echoing God's basic sentiment even when there's something unclean found. If I were to ask the question, even when there's something unclean, let's say that I come to my wife and I say, and, and please don't misunderstand, I'm not doing that tonight in a public confession, but let's say that I came to my wife and I said, I've committed adultery. Is God commanding Montel to put away because something unclean has been found? No. Even to allow it does not mean God would rather see reconciliation. And I think that's what you see even in Malachi 2. God hates divorce. And in, in certain extreme circumstances, it is allowed. But God still hates it. So notice how Jesus answered it. 
Moses commanded it, they said. No, Moses allowed it because of the hardness of your heart. Notice that answer in verse 8. To divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. So this idea of divorce for every reason, and that's what they were getting at. The idea of being allowed to just divorce for any reason and marry somebody else, Jesus said no. That was never the idea, not in any sense, not under any case, not under any law was that the idea. God from the beginning meant when you say I do, that you really do, is the idea. And so verse 9, Jesus goes on to say, and I say unto you. So now, just like in the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to hear what Jesus has to say about this subject. We already hear it in the Sermon on the Mount, but he repeats it here. So Jesus said, And I say unto you, Whosoever shall put away or divorce his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, commits adultery. And anyone who would marry her that is divorced, commits adultery. It's very clear. So what is Jesus doing here? Well, in simple terms, Jesus is giving the basic law, no divorce, no remarriage, marriage for life. Is there an exception? Yes, there is an exception. And that one exception is for fornication, God will allow. And I stress allow, because I don't think God's basic sentiment has ever changed. But God will allow divorce and remarriage. Now, looking at that, now, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 7 for a moment. If I'm looking at that, and now I've talked about God hates divorce, and I've talked about the extreme laws as most people in the world would see them. If I were to say that in most circles with most people, you know, presidential candidates are on our minds or anyone else, they would say that, that's just fanatical. That's extreme. That's exactly right. It is extreme. And that's what Jesus was saying. So if I were to say all of that... Now someone might begin to talk about, okay, well, that's fine in a fanatical sense, but let's talk about the real world. In the real world, half, mar- half of the marriages in the world end in divorce. Someone might look to me and say, do you never have a situation when someone comes to you and wants to be a part of your church, is the way people would say it, but someone comes, as Brianna did this morning, and is baptized and becomes a Christian, do you not ever have someone come to you wanting to be part of the church, wanting to be a Christian, however it's said, and they've been divorced and they've been remarried. Well, we have it all the time. I can't tell you the number of times. Well, even the time Wes and I have gone out to study together with someone. We confront this question, this situation, all the time. So it is the norm for people to be divorced. It is the norm for them to be remarried. It is the norm... For people to just accept the idea that, quote-unquote, everybody, with a few exceptions, divorces at some point, and everybody marries again, and that it's just a common thing, a normal thing, for a person to be married two, three, or more times over the course of a lifetime. So what do you say to those people? Well, I would say, God hates divorce. And I would say the Lord said from the beginning he meant people to be married for life. And one man for one woman for one lifetime is what we see. And that when you disobey that basic rule and you just divorce and remarry, that you commit adultery. And that 
As far as exceptions to that go, Jesus gave one exception. Now, having said all of that, people have then come to 1 Corinthians 7. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 7 with me, and let's just scan this passage for a moment, then we'll home in on a couple of specifics. You will notice that, first of all, Paul is writing either in answer to a question, a lot of us believe that's what he's doing, or just writing about things he's aware of, but he's writing in relation to the idea of people marrying. And there's some basic ideas behind 1 Corinthians 7. One of them is the question having to do with the whole Greek philosophy and so forth that it's better if you're going to be a Christian to never marry, never be concerned with things in the flesh and just give your life in a monk or nun type sense to the Lord and never marry, have children, fool with, be bothered with, worry with the things of everyday life. There is also the sentiment behind some of this. Some people would say, well, what's happening here is, by inspiration or otherwise, Paul knows that it's a hard time and that persecution is going to increase. And so basically what he's saying to these people is, you've written to me and you've said, it's better for a man not to touch a woman, better if nobody ever married. And my answer to that would be, well, maybe under the present distress, but... Here's God's idea about marriage and all of that. And the third idea would be this, and some have said what he's doing is he's repeating, and I want you to listen carefully to what I'm about to say. He's repeating what Jesus taught and embellishing it because of the Corinthian world. Now stop and think for a moment. And and unless you think I'm losing my mind, stay with me for a second. In the Jewish world, Everybody knew the liberals bought into the whole Roman idea of divorce and remarriage, and if anything, it was worse than ours. I've got books over there that quote ancient writers, and they talk about not just getting married in Las Vegas and divorcing a day later, but in one extreme sense, there's a record of, I think it's a woman who marries and divorces seven times in one hour. So if anything, it's more ridiculous than what we have today. That's the Roman world. But most people understood that in a Jewish society, people were still marrying and there was still the whole cultural get married, stay married, have children, raise families, etc., etc. Genealogies were important. Who your mom and dad was was important. Your grandparents, great-grandparents, and all of that. And that's their culture. But now you move out beyond that to the Corinthian world. And the Corinthian culture is one that includes festivities, feast days where you go down to the local temple and you and your children and everybody else engages in prostitution. That fornication and adultery are just part of everyday life. Everybody accepts it. It's fine. It's well. It's good as far as people are concerned. And that you marry people and Roman law makes it very easy to go through the courts. As I said, one woman, I think it is a woman, doing it seven times in an hour. You can imagine how easy it is. And so Paul, realistically then, writing in a Roman culture, comes to answer this question, is it better if we just, you know, just separate, we never touch a woman, never touch a man, never have anything whatsoever to do with the whole marriage and family thing if we're going to be Christians? And Paul says, no. Nevertheless, verse 2, 
To avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, let every woman have her own husband. What's he saying? Same thing as Genesis 2. Father, leave father and mother, be joined unto your wife. And then he goes on to talk about the responsibilities, verses 3 and following, of not defrauding, verse 5, not cheating your spouse, but being not dealing, if you will, treacherously or traitorously or betraying the whole covenant of marriage and the union between a husband and wife. And then he gets into this, well, what if you divorce, what if you separate, what, and he uses all these terms, and you should understand, I'm not going to get very technical here, you can go look this up for yourself. But he uses all of these terms for divorce that are used in the court systems in that day, in Corinth. And so you get different words here. Not just put away or divorce like we saw in Matthew 19, but you get words like leave and separate and depart. And sometimes people in a modern, you know, in our day and time want to look at this and say, Oh, well, Paul is talking about different ideas in different circumstances. No. Paul is just simply incorporating all the legal terms and equally applying them to men and women so you understand that these laws and these commandments he's giving apply to every circumstance, every reason you might find to go down and divorce, and whether you be a man or a woman... It all is lumped under the category of your responsibility as a Christian. And what is that? Well, look at verses 10 and 11. To the married, I command, yet not I, but the Lord. I believe this to be a not but construction. That what he is saying is, not only am I saying this, but Jesus is also saying this. Let not the wife depart from her husband. There is one of those legal terms for divorce. Women, if you're married to a man, don't divorce him. Now, verse 11. Well, what if you do? Let's say that a person obeys the gospel and informs you when they come up to be baptized and, you know, they become a Christian. They say to you, you know, I've been married. Now, I've had that literally happen, and I'm sure a lot of you have seen that literally happen. I've been married before. Okay. So now we got a situation and we're going to try to help this brother or sister deal with this situation. I've been married before. I'm divorced from my spouse. Well, all right. Are you remarried? No. I'm not remarried. Well, then you'd be exactly in the condition of verse 11. If you have divorced, you need to either remain unmarried or you need to be reconciled to your husband. Now, what if you are remarried? And that would be the next big question that people get into. Let's read the passage, and let me try to simply answer the question. And it's very complicated, I understand that, very detailed, but hopefully we can make a simple point from it. So let's read it together. When he says in verse 11, If she depart, let her remain unmarried, be reconciled to her husband, and let not the husband put away his wife. Now, verse 12, To the rest... To everybody else, this is what I have to say. To the rest speak I, not the Lord, and I think not the Lord only. If any brother has a wife that does not believe, she's not a Christian, and she is pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman that has a husband that believes not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. Let me deal with a big question that, that I 
hear, have heard over the years, and no doubt you have too. Let's say that a person comes up to be baptized. They believe in Jesus, they obey the gospel, and then they inform you not that they are divorced and remarried, but they happen to be married to a spouse, be a husband or a wife, who hates God, wants nothing to do with God, wants nothing to do with religion, and has plainly informed this person, if you become a Christian, I'm leaving you. Or if you become a Christian, as in the case sometimes of a woman, and maybe he even gets graphic, but he tells her, He's going to be violent with if she becomes a Christian and goes to church. That has happened. That is happening right now as we speak in this country. So Paul is saying to that person, to the rest, this is what I would say. If you're married to a person that is not a Christian and they're pleased to dwell with you, then stay with them. Why? Go back to Genesis 2. That was the law of marriage from the beginning. Marriage is for life. Go back to Malachi 2. Why? Because God hates divorce. Go back to Matthew 19. Why? Because there's only one exception. That's what Jesus said for divorce, and that is fornication. Not that this person is not a Christian. Well, let me tell you how people reason. And I'll continue to pick on me and Montel. Let's say that Montel and I, neither one of us are Christians, but Wes comes along and teaches me and I want to be a Christian, and I want to obey the gospel. And I say to Montel, I want to talk to you about the Bible. I want nothing to do with the Bible, she said. I don't want any part of it. Back in Tennessee, you know, we had people that lived next door, and they were Christians, and I hate Christians. I don't want anything to do with it. Well, I go on with it. And now I obey the gospel, and Sunday comes, and I say, Montel, I'm going to go to church, and I'll be back about, oh, 1230, 1 o'clock. If you do, I won't be here. And that kind of thing goes on. And it goes on week after week and perhaps month after month. And it gets worse and worse. And she's mad. So she doesn't cook any dinner on Monday or perhaps Tuesday. She has nothing to do with me in any sense. And you know what I mean by that for weeks on end. And on and on it goes. Not only that, but she finds every nasty thing she can possibly say. Man, Charles never knew that mean. But she finds every nasty thing she can say about being a Christian. And I live with that day in, day out. Now somebody comes and says, starts to reason and says, is that what God wants? How can you be a Christian in an environment like that? How can you grow in an environment? How can you stay up, encouraged, edified in an environment like that? Wouldn't it be better if I divorced that person and married a Christian? Now let's read what he says here. If the unbelieving depart, verse 15, let him depart. And the word for depart here is a technical word for divorce. So Montel gets so tired of me going to church because now that I'm a Christian, I'm going. And you know, it's it just God has to be obeyed before anybody. So I'm going. She's tired of that. We used to have some wild parties and I won't be part of that anymore. She's tired of that. And a host of other things that I now do that just don't fit with her lifestyle. And she's tired of that. And so she goes down and she files for divorce. If the unbelieving depart, let them depart. In other words, if someone is going to divorce you because you're a Christian and they don't want anything to do with you, what can you do? Legally, as far as the law of the country is concerned, there's not a thing you can do. 
if I want to divorce Montel tomorrow, I can go down to, I think, into East Orange or Newark, somewhere around here, the billboards say, for $399 less, and I can get a divorce. And there just really isn't anything the person can do. So if they're disposed to divorce you, in the Corinthian courts, under Roman law, they could, and you have to let them. A brother and sister is not under bondage, compulsion, enslavement in such cases. Now, what would that mean? Montel, you're not divorcing me. She's threatened it over and over and over again. You're not not going to divorce me. If I get any hint of divorce, I'm going to kidnap you and take you to Saudi Arabia where they don't believe in divorce. You're not under such compulsion. And that's what Paul is saying. If they want to abandon you, you have to let them. And notice how he goes on here. And note the context. If they want to stay with you, if they're pleased to dwell with you, then you let them stay. You're not trying to find a better deal. And if they mean to leave you, you have to let them leave you. Why? Verse 16. Because you just don't know. You don't know what's going to happen in the future. People as mean as I've described have been converted. I know cases. You probably do as well. So you just don't know what is going to happen. And so he says, What knowest thou this, O wife, whether you shall save your husband? A person might say, It's horrible living with this person. It is terrible going through this every single day. Granted. But what if the fact that you had the kind of courage, the kind of stay with it, steadfastness, etc., what if in the end that person would see what you do and obey the gospel? I know a case, and I've told you before, some of you have mentioned it back to me, over 20 years. Her husband was not a Christian, and he made it horrible for her when I first obeyed the gospel. And then I went back home, and I visited in this church, and lo and behold, there he was. How do you know? And that's what Paul is saying. Or knowest thou, O man, whether you shall save your wife? Now he comes to verse 17. This is the part where people want to jump in here and say, here's the second exception. But it's in that context when he says, But as God has distributed to every man, as the Lord has called everyone, so let him walk. And so ordain I in all the churches. Now a person says, okay. So if I'm reading this exactly, here's what God is saying. If I'm married to a person that doesn't want to be a Christian, even the worst case scenarios, and they want to stay with me, I've got to stay married. Yeah. And if I'm married to this person and they don't want to stay with me if I continue to be a Christian, but they haven't left me yet, I've got to stay married. Yes. But if I've already in the past divorced and remarried, then that's my calling. And whatever state I'm in, second marriage, third marriage, fourth marriage, fifth marriage, whatever it is, then I can stay in that. Well, let's see if that's what Paul says. As God has distributed to every man. First of all, we're talking about situations that God has distributed. That's either God has directly given that situation to you, or in the grand scheme of things, God allows that situation. Notice what he says here in the two things he brings up. 
As God has distributed to every man, as the Lord has called everyone, so let him walk. And that's what I ordain in all the churches. Verse 18, first example. Is any man called being circumcised? You're a Jew. You were circumcised at eight days old. You come to the church. You come to Christ. You're baptized into Christ. Should you have that, have an operation as an adult man and have that circumcision reversed? You can. I mean, that's something that was possible then, and it's certainly possible now. And Paul says, no. Let him not become uncircumcised. Are you called being uncircumcised? But you don't have to be circumcised. Why? Because it's not a law of God. It once was, but it's not now. It's not a law where God commands you to change certain things like this physically that had to do with your background. Now, is marriage one of those cases? Is marriage the same thing as circumcision? No, on a couple of counts. One, circumcision was something that was commanded under the law of God. Marriage was always something that was allowed and regulated, but you could choose not to be married. This was not something you had to do that now is no longer a commandment of something you have to do that God is reversing. So Paul is saying the point is once it was a law, now it's been removed, and here's the key, and it doesn't mean anything one way or the other. Now notice as he goes on in verse 19, circumcision is nothing. And we could easily say it like this and be truthful. Circumcision now is nothing. So now, if it's nothing, it doesn't matter if you're uncircumcised or circumcised when you become a Christian. And uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Now notice verse 20. Let every man abide in the same calling. It goes back to the same point. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Now what does this have to do with the whole marriage thing? Well, it goes back, if you notice, he started by a discussion of you are married to an unbeliever. And you're not trying to get out of it. And you're not trying to compel someone to stay in it. You just simply, you as a Christian are remaining in that situation because that's how you came to Jesus Christ. Notice his second point here. Are you called, verse 21, being a slave? Again, slavery, regardless of how we might feel about it and all the abuses that usually go with it, but slavery was not outlawed by God. It was regulated. So are you called being a slave? Care not for it. Now, if a person were trying to compare this to, I'm married to a non-Christian and it would be better for me to get out of a bad marriage and into a good one with a fellow Christian, if you wanted to apply these verses, you'd have Paul saying, don't care anything about that. Don't be concerned with that. If you may be free... Use it rather. And you know, the point there is simply this. God is not telling you to revolt. You know, run away from your master and revolt, or lead a revolt and get free of masters and end slavery. But God is also saying to you, if you're given the possibility to be free, can we think of a biblical example? A couple of heads, yeah. Onesimus. Paul says, Onesimus, I converted him, and hey, Philemon, the guy's doing a great work. How about just freeing him? And we know from history, I have pretty good reason to believe from history, that's exactly what he did. So if you can be free, then use it. For he that is called in the Lord being a slave is the Lord's freeman, and likewise also the one called being free is the Lord's servant. 
That's not something that I have to be concerned with. I take advantage of my situation, but I'm not seeking change. So this passage, I would say this about, and I realize it can be a complicated passage, but what are we saying about it? You're a Christian, you're married to a non-Christian. Don't try to get out of the marriage. And if the person leaves you, and you can't hold them by doing what's right, don't feel compelled to make them stay. They're not going to stay if they don't want to. But God's basic idea is when things are of no concern, well, you can choose what you want about that. Do I want to be circumcised? Do I not want to be circumcised? You can make the choice. When things are allowable under the law of God that you may or may not be able to change, like slavery, well, when you get a good opportunity, take advantage of it. But here's the point. In none of that is God ever saying, this is now licensed to disobey everything God said from the beginning. You don't see that anywhere. You don't even remotely see that sentiment here. In fact, you see just the opposite in all of these verses. Stay with your spouse. That's the law of God. Always has been, always will be. Remain married. Now, I I know that I have not answered every question about this, said everything there is to say. Hopefully that answers the basic question I was given. But if you have other questions about it, and especially given our circumstances in this day and time, please feel free to come to me and we'll talk about it. Are you not a Christian? Have you never obeyed the gospel? We saw someone this morning respond and be baptized for forgiveness of sins. Confess their belief in Jesus, that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, if I'm quoting Wes. To repent, to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. To be a child of God. If you're here tonight and you need to do that, make tonight the night you choose to do so and live your life with the Lord. Maybe you're here and you've done that and you look at your life and you say, you know, I need a greater commitment. I need to turn things around. I need to start over. Those are feelings that many of us have from time to time. If you're here and you need to do that, please come.